0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.
1: Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the book of Exodus this morning to walk through. Uh, This morning, chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 10 is where we'll we'll look at this morning. Um, Isn't it nice to have a little bit of crisp air this morning out there? How many of you are tired of the heat and dry and all that? Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm ready for fall. And uh, football was last night. And even though my my team didn't win, and maybe your team didn't win, unless you're Clemson, and we don't like you anyway. i are just gonna say it. <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, but you know, we come in a lot of times with uh, with just carrying a lot of stuff that really doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like we come in, sometimes after a weekend, Saturdays, in the fall, in the south, football's way bigger than really it should be, and I love it, and I'm all in, and, and for the past two Saturdays, I've tried to get everything done so I could be there in front of the TV, but at the end of the day, what we're doing right now is what will last for eternity, and we will learn of the greatness of our God and we will sing his praises. I was, as we were singing that, and I'm, Ethan, I don't know where Ethan is. Is that, is that a refrain? Is that what we were doing there at the end? Is that what, that's, what is that thing called? Yeah, what is that? Oh, I'm so glad I stumped the, the music guy. That's great. Yeah, it's a refrain. Yeah, okay. Well, as. Yeah, yeah. As we're singing that, I'm thinking, you will reign forever. You will reign forever. You will reign forever. You will reign forever. We could sing that over and over. And and, and in our limited perspective, we would get tired of it. Not tired of the reality of it, but we would get tired of hearing it here. But what we don't understand is that one day these bodies will be fit, and these tongues will be fit, and these ears will be fit, and these eyes will be fit to behold the glory of our God that fills the earth and the new heavens and reigns forevermore. And man, I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that day when football is is a fading memory. And it's like the leaves that will soon fall from the trees and crumble to dust compared to the glory of our God. May we be captured by that. Let's look at our text this morning. Uh, I've titled this message this morning, A Mist in the Midst of Egypt. A Mist in the Midst of Egypt. Let's look at this beginning in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 11. The Lord said to Moses, yet one more plague, one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt." Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. We we should never read passages of Scripture outside of their context. If we we just jump right in here in verse 1 of 11 without going back and realizing what's taking place, we we miss something in the text. We don't forget here in this chapter 10, verse 28, right at the end of the the previous section that Moses has just received a very real, very serious threat against his life. The most powerful man in in the planet has just said to Moses, Get out of my face for the next time you see my face you will die now this would be one thing coming from just joe schmoe on the street but this is the most powerful man on the planet this is a man who has the means and has the right to follow through on that threat I would imagine that Moses, human nature tells us that Moses would have been afraid, that Moses would have been fearful for his life, that he would have been tempted to turn and run. But before he can get out of the room, God whispers in his ear the words of chapter 11, verse 1. Moses, I know what he just said to you, but... I'm gonna bring one more plague on him. The word there that God uses for plague is the word I told you in the beginning. It's the word blow. It's, it's It's the picture of a boxer or a cage fighter balling up those fists and landing a strike on his target. And God here reminds Moses, Moses, you may feel at this moment like you are defeated Moses may in his mind have been saying, I was supposed to be the deliverer of Israel, but i failed. I've come to the end, and now I've been banished from seeing Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has threatened me with, with, with death, and I can't go back into him. What will happen now? And at the moment when Moses begins to think that it's all about him and that he, if, it's not, if it's not his strength accomplishing it, then it won't get done. At that very moment, God reminds him that God is always the most powerful ruler in the room. That's my first point. God is always the most powerful ruler in the room. Moses, I don't know how this is gonna come together. I have I, failed And God says, Moses, it was never about you. I've had this from the very beginning. I've planned every single strike and where they would land and how they would land and what the outcome would be. I've even hardened Pharaoh's heart along the way so that all these wonders of mine may be performed. There will not be one left out. Pharaoh will not, because of weakness within him, decide to let you go early. He will not hold you late Moses, one more blow, I will strike against him and then he'll let you go. God is always the most powerful ruler in the room, which brings me to this point of application for us. If all we ever do is, is look at scripture and interpret scripture and then understand what the text is saying, but we never say, how does this change the way I live? How does this change the way I behave with people? How does this change the way I operate in my life? Then we're stopping short of the purpose of scripture. So the application here for us is that just as Moses can trust God, that he can submit his life to God's will, In the same way, you and I can submit ourselves to God's will for our life and trust him to make things right, to to work things out. Now, I want to give you some for instances here just directly from the text. We can trust God, submit our lives to his will, even when things are not right right now. This is what is happening here in the text. Moses thinks he's failed, it's over, and God says, Moses, it may not look right to you right now, but I'm in control, and this thing is going to work out how I have said it's going to work out. So I would just remind you here today, possibly God is calling you to something, asking you to submit your life to something in some area. He has some will for you, whether it is revealed here in the pages of Scripture, commanded for all believers to walk in these things or whether it's more focused on you, that may not be something that you could turn and and find a layout of instructions for you, but God is still calling you to this particular vocation or this project or this person, I would remind you that even though it may not feel right, it may not look right, it may not be right at the moment, you can trust God and submit to him and his will in your life. Another, for instance, from the text is you can submit to God's will in your life, even when it seems impossible. In verse 8 of of this passage today, the, the Bible here tells us all the servants of Pharaoh come, they will come and they will bow down to Moses and they will beg Moses on their knees, leave, go, get out, you and all who follow you. Now, this seems like the most unlikely thing to happen That those who bowed before Pharaoh would now turn from bowing to to Pharaoh and now come and bow before Moses. This seems very unlikely, but I would remind you that God, just as I told you a couple of weeks ago, God is in the business of not only the unlikely, but the impossible. Let me just give you a few verses from the context of the Bible. Genesis 18 when God had told Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son in their old age. Genesis 18, verses 13 and 14, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Now, if you were as old as Sarah and you were told you're about to have a baby, you might laugh as well. God doesn't think it's funny. God sees no reason to laugh. God goes on and says to to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? Don't we need to hear that question today? When we're up against situations and circumstances that seem to be impossible, yet we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has called us to walk in this, is anything too hard for the Lord? Job, chapter 42, verse 12, or verses 1 and 2. And Job has has suffered as much or more than anybody else on the planet. Everything, family and possessions and health and all these things taken from him. And he gets to the end of the book of Job. And in, in Job, chapter 42, he finally confesses his sin to God and repents. And this is what Job said when he's come to the end of himself. He said, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job, who's had everything stripped from him, he's standing there empty handed. God, I know you you can do all things. Whatever you set out to do, God, nothing can get in the way of that. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, when Jesus was talking about the camel going through the eye of a needle and all that, Jesus said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You and I, and I'm not saying that it's up for our interpretation that God may be calling us to something that his word never calls us to. I've heard people say things like, well, I I believe God's calling me to leave my wife for this other woman. The reality is God will never call you to that. and It's not up for our interpretation to, to give in to what we really want and blame it on God. But where God calls us, even in the midst of it seeming impossible to pull off, we can trust God to do it. If you had known me in high school, you'd say, no way you'd be a pastor today. I don't glory in that. But if you went back home to my hometown and talked to some of the people that knew me growing up, they would say, You must have a really, really dysfunctional church. Even when it seems impossible, we can submit our lives to God, trusting that He will work all things to His will even when it's not as soon as we would like it to be. In verse nine here in our text today, the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Surely Moses by now is thinking, Pharaoh, just say yes. Just let us go. The people of his kingdom are saying, Pharaoh, just let him go. We'll be okay. It wasn't happening as soon as they wanted it to happen. And I'm reminded of another passage, another story, a true historical event in the pages of Scripture in John chapter 11, where Mary and Martha have this brother named Lazarus, and Lazarus becomes sick, and he dies, and Jesus isn't there, and he intentionally waits to go on the scene. He waits for four days to go on the scene, and he finally gets there, and Martha says, she comes running up to Jesus, and she said, Lord... If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And sometimes we wrestle with things and we wonder, when is this going to happen? God, if you're calling me to this, then when? and when? Martha says, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But hindsight is, if Jesus would have been there and Lazarus would not have died, we would not have had the privilege to see Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. See, you and I don't understand all of what God is doing in his timing, but God has a purpose in everything that he does. He doesn't waste any of it. He's not leaving ketchup on the plate. He, he's, he's not leaving a, a half a can on the counter He's taking every last drop and he's using it for our good and for his glory. Even when it's not what we would choose, we can submit to God's will in our life. In verse 10 here in our passage today, Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land The point here the scripture is making is that Moses and Aaron didn't stop short on anything. They did all that God commanded them to do. Yet Pharaoh continued to harden his heart. You got to think that that in 400 years of slavery, certainly there were Israelites who died there in Egypt, who cried out to the Lord but never saw his deliverer never never found his rescue they died there in the land of Egypt and it would not have been what they would have chose they would have chose that he would come and deliver them out much sooner rather than later but God didn't show up and they died there in the land does that mean that God did them wrong well if God did them wrong by allowing them to die in Egypt then he also did Jesus wrong. Because Jesus in Mark 14 prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but your will be done. Even Jesus in the middle of the garden is saying, Lord, this is not what on my own I would choose. But Jesus knows He can submit himself to the Father, willingly knowing that he can trust the Father even when it's not what he would choose for his life. And those who died in Egypt who also looked forward by faith to God's rescue were not disappointed either. So what's the point for us? My challenge to you coming out of these just several verses here in in chapter 11 is submit yourself to God's will. Stop clinging to the excuses of, well, not yet. I don't have what I need. That's not what I would choose. Stop clinging to those and say, God, whatever you would have for my life, God, use me. See, it's, it's easy to say that, but when God brings the contract to the table, it's not as easy. God may be wrestling with you and dealing with you on an issue at this moment. I share with the membership class this morning how, for years, for over three years, I ran from God's call on my life until God finally brought me to my knees. I'm, I'm telling you, you will not win that battle. Submit yourself to God's will for your life and trust him to work out the details. Realize that there's only one king and you're not him. God is always the most powerful ruler in the room. And secondly is this, we'll go, we, we kind of went forward in the text. Let's go back to verses two and three. Not only is God always the most powerful ruler in the, in the room, but God provides for his people. God provides for his people. He says there in verses two through three, speak now in the hearing of the people that they might ask their neighbors, every man, his neighbor, every woman, her neighbor for gold and silver jewelry. You say, what in the world is that about? That that just seems out of place here that God would all of a sudden say, okay, all right, now everybody go out and and see what jewelry you can collect. It's like a premiere party, you know, right there. All those that know what I'm talking about, um, you know, you got it. So, what is this about? What is God doing here saying, go get jewelry from your neighbors? Well, God had told Abraham that this would happen some six to eight hundred years before this. That in Genesis chapter 15, the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners, sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. 600 to 800 years, somewhere in that range. We don't know exactly, but God tells them this. That's pretty specific. God displays his sovereignty by bringing this to pass, but I think there's more to it than just God saying, let me show you just how sovereign I am over all of history. And I'll ask you this question. What what generally happened after one army conquered another? Wouldn't the the one that won the battle plunder the other people? They would go in and they would take what what was there and they would bring it back to their own camp, to the victor go the spoils. God, I believe, is doing that here. In fact, he told them this was what would happen. And he actually uses that word plunder back in chapter three of Exodus verses 20 through 22, when he said, I will stretch out my hand, strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty handed. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. What God is doing here is more than showing his sovereignty over human history. He's also showing his absolute crushing defeat of Pharaoh in Egypt. And in so doing, he's allowing his people to plunder them and provide for them for the journey that would come. He had struck such fear into the hearts of the Egyptians that the Egyptians were, before this final blow even comes, willing to give them whatever they asked as long as they would leave. God provides for them in the journey. Ligon Duncan, in a sermon I heard him preach on this, pointed out that that God is, is here allowing them to take the world's goods for their journey to come, for what they would need. But he pointed out that the world's goods can be used either for good or for bad. In Exodus chapter 32, he points out that they took these same golden earrings And they melted them down and they they formed the golden calf. When Moses was gone too long and they didn't know what had happened to him, they went to Aaron and said, make for us a God. And they took what God provided and they used it for evil. But then just a few chapters later, Exodus 35, verses 22 forward, they used this again to build the tabernacle to worship their God. God provides for his people. We can trust him to do this if the Lord calls us to it, then sounds cliche, but if He calls us to it, He will provide what is needed for us to go all the way through it. How often do we shrink back from following the Lord because we don't think we will have what it will, will require? We say things like, "Well, I'm not a good speaker. I don't, I don't do well in new places. I really need my comfort." I'm not really a people person. I don't have the resources or the means. We're a small church. How could we do anything like that? Terry Williams, who was a he was a pastor that Lan and I served under early on, and in fact, our very first church. uh, I think we were we were dating before we got married. We were going to that church, and Terry Williams. Um, it's the first time I ever heard it and I realized he'd probably heard it from someone, someone else and it is very cliche, but there is truth in it. It's the first person I ever heard that said, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And there's reality in that. God doesn't look at you or me and say, oh, that person, man, can they speak. I want him on my team. I'm putting him in that spot because he'll do a good job. He doesn't look at a person and say, they're so bubbly. They love people. People love them. They'll be great out there. I'll, I'll call them to that. Instead, sometimes God calls the most unlikely people on the planet to do things in such a way that only he could get the glory for God provides for his people. Here's what I'm praying for us that we would follow God boldly, knowing that he will provide everything we need. And that we would be generous, knowing that we can never outgive God. That we would hold things loosely for his glory. And we'd follow him wherever he calls us to, knowing that he will give everything we need for whatever he calls us to do in my personal life, in our life, together as a faith family. Well, let me just kind of go through. I've got to kind of rush through to to, to get to my last two points. third point is this. God punishes those that do evil. I said, boy, this took a turn. I don't want to hear this this morning. This is negative. I wanted to come to church this morning and hear a positive, uplifting message that I would walk out with warm fuzzies and, and be able to attack the rest of my day. The reality is the Bible doesn't always paint that picture. People want to follow a New Testament Jesus without having to take orders from the Old Testament God. And the reality is they are one and the same. God is just as much a God of judgment and justice as he is love and mercy. And God punishes those that do evil. In verses four through six, I won't read it all again, but he says there about midnight, and the, the phrase is not sort of just, well, somewhere around midnight. In fact, it actually means at midnight. I'm gonna come into the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn of Egypt will die. I wanna just point out some things about this. Number one, it's personal. That until now, God has used his creation, those things that are in nature that he has made, he has used those to accomplish the the justice, the judgment, the discipline that he's bringing. But now, he's coming personally. I will come in the midst of you. He is the mist in the midst of Egypt. How fearful is that? it's one thing if we're talking about rivers of blood and plague of frogs and locusts boils and all these things but God himself comes walking through it's a scary thing it's personal that that he comes personally to punish those that do evil rightly he says every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die Number, number one this is Directly pointing back to what Pharaoh had tried to do to Israel when he had tried to drown the baby boys of Israel in the Nile. And God is exacting vengeance here. But also there have been those that have said, is is this not a little bit harsh? Is this kind of unfair for God to, to kill the firstborn of all of Egypt when it's Pharaoh who's really the one who's in the wrong? Well, the reality is All the Egyptians had been at least complicit with Pharaoh. They had carried out his commands. Many of them had had been those that had, had drowned those babies in the Nile. They celebrated the comforts of the society that were propped up by the Israelite slaves, they worshiped the idols and the false gods of Egypt. See, the reality is we cannot say that that there are, you know, in this story, there's one that's guilty and there's a bunch of innocent people that are just, you know, kind of taking the brunt of Pharaoh's actions because the Bible never teaches that there's any that are innocent. There are no innocent people on the planet. There's no innocent guy on an island right now that makes God unjust to punish him by sending him to hell if he never hears about Jesus because the reality is the Bible teaches that he is guilty of sin and it is grace that God saves anybody at all. Romans 3 verses 10 through 12 says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. If you're in this room today and you're thinking, I'm not like these people. These people are good. I've, you don't know what I've done. You don't realize in the, in the eyes of God, we stand condemned, every one of us. If you're in this room also saying, I'm not like these people, these people have done all kinds of things, you're just as guilty. We all stand condemned. Romans 5:12 says, "Sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned." God is right to punish sin. He's right to punish those who do evil. Not only does He come personally and rightly, but He comes universally. The text explains it to us. He says, "From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn of the slave girl who sits behind the handmill. I mean, look at the sweeping nature of that from the highest in the land to the very lowest who no one notices. Even all of creation pays a price for evil. All the cattle, the firstborn of the cattle will die. Romans 8 talks about the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. It groans waiting for the return of Christ where he will redeem creation and make things right. God punishes those who do evil. But here's the good news. I don't want to leave you there. Here's the good news. Here's the fourth and final point God protects those who trust in him. God protects those who trust in him. Verse seven is the most beautiful verse in the midst of these verses. Not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel. Either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. I I could go into a lot of detail here about what this is all about, and why, why does he say not a dog will growl? Why bring in this, this, this issue here, the, the, the imagery of a dog growling? Well, part of it is because throughout the whole plague's accounts, he's been attacking the gods, the false gods of Egypt. And here he is specifically attacking the Egyptian god of death. The people of Egypt were enamored by death. I mean, you study Egyptian history and you see the elaborate tombs. You see how they invested wealth for the afterlife. There was a, a particular god of death. His name was Osiris. And, and he had an, a, um, an assistant, if you will, and his name was Anubis. And Anubis was the, the god of, of the afterworld, the underworld. Anubis supervised the embalming process. He he helped guide the transition between this world and the next is is what they believed. He, He was symbolized by a particular animal. What animal do you think he was symbolized by? A dog. And so in some ways, God here is in this final blow saying to them, death has no power over those who are mine. This dog of death that you are enamored with, Egypt, and you worship, has no power, cannot touch. He won't even growl at my people. But secondly, I think there's a beautiful, you say, if death is universal, if I just went through that a minute ago, if God's right to to punish those who do wickedness, if he's, if, if he's just to do so, if it's universal, we're all sinners and we all deserve death, then how can he simply look at one people and say, no death for them. That dog won't even growl at them. How? He doesn't seem right. It's the equivalent here of, of a judge in court just pardoning someone, pronouncing them not guilty, even though they are guilty, just because he likes them how can God do this? Well, the answer is the gospel. And here's how I would phrase it. God can do this because he allowed the dog to growl at another in their place. Psalm chapter 22, verses 16 and 18 it's a famous psalm that deals with with, uh, with Jesus on the cross. It's, it's, it's prophesying Jesus on the cross, and Jesus' famous statement on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is, is really his quoting Psalm 22. Well, later in that Psalm 22, it says, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I, can't, I can count all my bones they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and my clothing they, for my clothing they cast lots. See, the reason God can look at a particular people, even though they are guilty of committing wickedness, and they will do so even going out of Egypt, the reason he can look at them and say, death will not growl at you, is because he allowed death to growl at Jesus. By faith, we look forward. They, they look forward to that. And by faith, we look backwards to his sacrifice. God was faithful to his covenant to make Abraham the father of many nations that, and that all the nations on earth would be blessed. They, in that moment, not all of them, I, I would say, but Israel here in Egypt, they were looking forward to the deliverer that had been promised going all the way back to Genesis 3 that God would send the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent they looked forward by faith to that one look forward to the promise God made to Abraham to make him the father of many nations to be a blessing to all nations including Egypt which by the way we're going to see in the next few weeks that there are some Egyptians even, even that come out and leave Egypt Because they become convinced that Israel's God is the one true God. Likewise, we can, by faith, look at God's deliverer and be saved. Romans 5.17 says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The Bible here says that the reason God can allow death not to even growl at a people is because he allowed the dog to growl at Jesus. And the Bible here in Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I don't, I don't know where you are today in your walk with the Lord. Possibly you've not started you don't know the Lord. You're here at church and you just kind of came with some friends, or maybe you've been coming for years. But there's never been a time where you've said, The dog growled at Jesus in my place. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of evil and I deserve the punishment, but God allowed my punishment to be placed on Jesus. Maybe there's never been that moment for you. Today, I would invite you to turn and trust the Lord, to call on him and to be saved, to be counted among God's people by faith. You say, well, I don't, I don't know how to go forward from there. I don't, I'm not sure that I can walk out of what I'm in right now and begin this Christian life. I, I'm not sure that I can, I can do that. I, I'm not sure that I'm ready to walk away. The reality is you're never going to be completely ready in your own strength to walk away from it all. You're going to need the Spirit of God to take residence in your life. To lead you out of sin. To lead you to trust the Lord. But the first step is for you to trust the Lord. You... You will at times throughout the remainder of your life fall into sin again. We all do. Every single person in this room, every single person on the planet who takes the name of Christ will fall into sin. We will at times willfully choose to commit evil deeds. But the difference is the spirit of God produces repentance in our hearts and causes us to abhor what we're in to turn and walk out. If you're here today without the Lord, turn, call on his name, and be saved. Submit your will, your life to his will. Trust that he will provide everything that is needed for what he's calling you to. And to the church who's here today, There's another point of application in the fact that death came to Egypt or was going to come to Egypt. We live among a people who are dying. We're all dying. But we live among a people who are spiritually dead and spiritually dying and will one day cross a threshold that will never be able to be returned from. And we stand as followers of God. In this moment, living on this side of the cross, as those who are to be heralds of the gospel, to live with gospel intentionality and urgency to say to those who are dying, There's a way for the dog not to growl at you. I wanna challenge the church in the room to live with this gospel urgency for the sake of neighbors and for the sake of the nations so that God will be praised among them all. Let's pray together. Jesus is a heavy text. Not so much the details, God, but just the, the subject matter of death coming And coming not just randomly or by accident, but coming at your hand, God. Lord, help us, God, to understand your justice as well as your mercy and your grace. God, I pray in this room that if there are those here, Lord, who have never trusted you to be their savior, to save them from the punishment they deserve, then God, today, would you... Call to them. Would you open the eyes of their heart and their minds to the reality that is before them? God calls them to have a new heart and to call on you. Lord, for the church that sits in this room today, God, I pray that you would, Lord, break our hearts with the reality of spiritual death and dying all around us. And God calls us to live not so much for football games or trips to the mountains. None of those things are bad. But God, that we would live first and foremost as citizens of your kingdom, that we would be at the outpost of earth calling all sinners to repent and trust you. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna give you an opportunity to, uh, to just contemplate, to think about what's been said. Maybe something from the text God has just specifically used that this morning to get your attention. If he's calling you to something in particular, I'm going to ask you to do what I challenged you in the middle of the message to do. Just submit to his will and trust him to fill in the details. You may not know what it all looks like, but what he calls you to, he will indeed see you through. If you're here today and you've never trusted the Lord and you need to be saved today, I would love to talk to you. Uh, I'll be seated down here on the front row. I'd love for you just to come and introduce yourself to me or take me by the hand and let me just kind of begin to walk through with you what this looks like. If you're here and you just need to pray with somebody, there will be some uh, some of our church members, some Christian brothers and sisters who will be in a prayer room out those doors. They would love to, to pray with you whatever the Lord leads you to today, let's just respond in acts of worship all across this room. Let's worship him.
0: How wonderful, and my song shall ever. My sins and my sorrows Rich in love, you're rich in love, and you're so too.